Well, how are we doing, Rich Church? Happy Easter to you. My name is Bobby. I am uh, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. We're so glad you're with us today as we celebrate Easter. And uh, not just the holiday of Easter, but we celebrate a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today, is, uh, today is one of those days that uh, we, we look at, and listen, I, I know that we're all over the place in here. I know that some of you are here for... Uh, you know, different reasons. You're here because somebody invited you and you decided to come, and so we're so glad that you're here. Others of you, you're here today because someone kept inviting you. They, they kept posting on your Facebook wall. They kept putting things on Instagram, and they bugged the fool out of you every day at work or at school or across the street or wherever. And so to get them off of your back, you decided to show up today, and so we're glad that you're here also, others of you, you're here today because it's just kind of what you do. You know, Easter is, it's just what you do. You don't really believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You don't really believe that he uh, has risen from the grave. You're not really sure if you believe that he is who he said he was. And so Easter's just that thing that you do. You know, mom makes some ham, and so she wanted you to come to church, and so you're here, you know. Uh, we're glad that you're here as well. And so regardless, listen, regardless of However you came here today, regardless of why you're here today, we're glad that you're here. And I don't believe that you're here by accident. I believe that you're here on purpose, for a purpose, uh, to see and understand and celebrate and worship a risen Savior, maybe, maybe even for the first time in your life today. And so welcome to Ridge Church. We are so happy that you're here. If you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to look at the, the story of the resurrection here in just a few moments. Uh, if today is your first day here, we would love for you to take a Connect card that's close to you somewhere and begin to fill that out. I'll let you know what you can do with that at the end of the service. But if you want to go ahead and fill that out, you're welcome to. Uh, but we're going to look in Luke chapter 24. You can follow along on the screen back here behind me. Or you can also uh, just um, open up your smartphone device or iPad or whatever it is that you have and and decide to, to follow along there. There's no shame in that, so don't feel like that you can't. I got an iPad up here, folks, all right? So it's okay. You can do that. But if you decide to play Trivia Crack, turn the volume down, all right? And if you're playing me, wait. All right, so, because otherwise I'm going to have to take care of that right now. That would be bad. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ, here's, here's what I believe. I'm just cards out on the table. I believe with all of my heart, that God sent his son Jesus in the flesh on this earth who lived and died, who was be arrested, beaten, crucified, and is now resurrected and is alive. That's what I believe. I'm, just gonna, just gonna, I'm not going to try to fool you into believing uh, that I believe anything else. That's what I believe. Otherwise, I don't know why I would be up here, but that's what, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. And here's what I know about the resurrection. Regardless of whether you believe in the resurrection or not, here's what I know to be true about the resurrection, is that the resurrection literally changed everything. It literally changed history. It split history in two. We have A.D. and B.C. because of the account of the resurrection. And so the resurrection, the event of the resurrection, it changed everything. And because it changed everything, here's what I also know to be true. That if the resurrection actually happened, if the resurrection is actually factual and true, and that a man who was God in the flesh was crucified, we know all of those things to be absolutely true. 
We see that in, in history books. We see, we see that written about. We know that to actually be true. But the question is, did he get up from a grave? Did he rise? Did God raise him up? Is he alive and seated at the right hand of God? That's the thing that many of us question. That's the thing that some of us wonder whether or not that is true. But here's what I know, is that if that is true, then every word in this book also has to be true. Every word in this book also has to be true. But... If the resurrection did not happen, then everything in this book is not true. Is not true. You see, the resurrection is so crucial. It is absolutely critical that the resurrection happened. For us to be able to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and he will do everything that he promised he would do. The Apostle Paul, he said this about the resurrection. He said that if the resurrection did not happen, then we of all men should most be pitied. We should be pitied among all men. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying if the resurrection did not happen, then we're all a bunch of fools. And this is coming from a man who saw a resurrected Jesus, who had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus. And he said, if it's not true, then and what are we doing? We're, we're all a bunch of fools if it did not happen because we're giving our lives for this. And so because I know that we're all over the place, that we're coming from different lanes here today, and, and, and I've already said, here's what I believe. I, I have a question for you. What do you believe? What do you believe about the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Do you believe that he's going to do everything that he promised us that he would do? Do you believe that what we celebrate today is actually true? Let me read the account of the resurrection. Luke 24, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They looked better than Wesley Hicks this morning. <laughs> and he looks pretty good. I'm just saying, that bow tie, that's awesome. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. So much has been written about the resurrection. Not only do we have the, the biblical account of the resurrection, we have history accounts of the resurrection. We have uh, books by theologians. We have books by professors. We have books by people who don't believe it, that Jesus is who he said he was. We have so much that has been written about the resurrection. There's a lot that has been written for the resurrection to say that the resurrection is absolutely true. 
But there's also been a lot written about the resurrection for those who are trying to claim that the resurrection did not happen. And so because I know that we're just a, a mixed bag, a mixed crowd in here this morning, I want to be fair to all of us. I want to show just a, a few things that people have written about the resurrection that say the resurrection did not happen. And I'm going to just lay a few of these things out just to be fair. But again, to be straight and to be real with you, I think these are pretty lame. Just being honest. Okay? But I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why. So the first one is this. I'm going to give you the two most popular of of reasons why people believe that the resurrection did not happen. And the first one is this, a couple of theories. Uh, The first theory is called the, the swoon theory. The swoon theory. And so this is the belief that Jesus, after being severely beaten, the Bible says beaten to the point of near death, meaning that another blow, another hit, another smack, you know, one more thing could have literally killed him at that point. He was beaten that severely to the point of not even being able to be recognized as who he was. After being severely beaten, had nails put into his hands and his wrists, hung on a cross where he would basically um, suffocate, blood pouring out, almost all of the blood that could come out of his body has now come out of his body, a spear pushed into his side. The swoon theory says that after all of this, instead of Jesus dying, he passed out. And so they took him off the cross thinking that he was dead, laid him into a tomb, rolled a massive stone over the front of the tomb, and Jesus decides to take a bit of a nap, wakes up, dusts himself off, rolls away this massive tomb, and walks out like nothing happened. Appears to others, and this is why they say that the disciples and others saw the wounds in his hands, they saw uh, the wounds on his body, and they knew that it was Jesus because he just passed out. He didn't really die. And so after all, of the, after all of this, the swoon theory says that he just gets up and that he's okay. Now, here's why I think that this is a pretty lame theory. It's because in Luke 24, right after we read this account, we see uh, this section here in your Bible. It may say, on the road to Emmaus. And so what takes place on the road to Emmaus is Emmaus is about seven miles away from where they are. And Jesus comes up on two men on the road to Emmaus and walks with them, listen, for seven miles. Now, this is not like walking down by the river at Melton Lake Marina, okay? This is a hike, all right? This is a hike. This is not a stroll in the park. Seven miles. Jesus walks with them. And if you believe the swoon theory, then you would have to believe that after all of these things happen to this man, he is able to walk for seven miles and carry on a coherent conversation. So that's the swoon theory. Pretty unlikely, if you ask me. The second one that's also pretty popular is that the disciples stole the body. You've probably heard this one. The disciples stole the body. And so right now on CNN, there's this uh, mini-series going on called finding Jesus, finding the real Jesus. And they talk about some of these things. And there are people who actually believe that this happened. Not only the swoon theory actually happened, but that the disciples stole the body. Now, here's what I know about the disciples. If you know anything about the Bible, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the account of the disciples. The disciples were pretty much morons. Just being honest. Just being honest. 
You, you, you see cases in the scripture where uh, while they're with Jesus, Jesus is so frustrated with them because they just don't get it. He's trying to explain to them as plainly as possible who he is, what he has come for, what he is there to do, and yet they still don't get it. So much to the point, Jesus even says at one point, how much longer do I have to be with you? How much longer? He's just like, God, now, let's do this now. And so they just, they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it while they were with, physically, with Jesus. And in some ways, they were kind of cowardly. And so for the disciples to actually come and steal the body, this means that they would have had to have devised a plan put together a plan that they're actually going to carry out successfully. They're going to have to go to a tomb that is being guarded by Roman centurions, who, by the way, were the best soldiers in the world, right? Guarded by Roman centurions. They're going to have to swell up, right? Get their swole on. And they're going to have to subdue the Roman centurions, push away the stone, walk in, steal the body, walk out, and hide it. And then go around going, oh, yeah, Jesus is alive. We saw him. We saw him. He's alive. He's alive. Needless to say, oh, and so here, here, here's the deal. When people began going around saying that Jesus was alive, that he had resurrected, that he was not there, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Roman gover- government, they were all, they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. And so if it were true, if that were true, that the disciples stole the body, right? If the disciples stole the body, then they would have had to have discounted the fact that hundreds of people also saw the same resurrected Jesus. Listen, in a court case, if one person is a witness... Somebody might be able to navigate around that, but when you have hundreds of witnesses, guess who's losing? Not the witnesses. Not the witnesses. And then, I would even say this, if the disciples stole the body and so they knew without a doubt that Jesus had not resurrected, when they were at the end of swords, when they were about to be stoned, when some of them were about to be crucified, when one of them was about to be boiled alive, all for what they believed that they said that they had saw a resurrected Jesus when that was about to happen to them, don't you think at least one of them would have cracked and said, okay, I give up, that's it, we stole the body, he's not alive. Don't do it. But no, 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 no. Every single one of them died because they believed that they had seen a resurrected Jesus. Two more really quick. Uh, some people say that they just went to the wrong tomb. Now listen, I, I've been really tired before and driven home and went to, you know, pulled into the wrong driveway or went to the wrong place, you know, passed up my road. Anybody else done that? You've done that before? I, I'm the only one, okay, apparently. And so, like, I, but, so, it, possible, maybe, possible, yes, possible, but also, so that would also mean that the other disciples would also have went to the wrong tomb. Right? Don't you think at some point somebody would have said, uh, you guys are looking for Jesus and he's not here because you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Two doors down. 
And then finally, some people say that they hallucinated the resurrection. Again, I, I just don't believe this one because that would mean that hundreds of people were basically smoking the same thing, and I don't think that that's, that's not happening. So, to be fair, to be fair, we've, we've given reasons against the resurrection, and so now I just want to show you three, three to me that proves it, that proves the resurrection, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he also will do everything that he promised he would do. And so the first one is this, is that we have biblical evidence that the resurrection happened. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, it's in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53 uh, pretty much explains in complete detail what would take place later, several hundred years later. The prophet Isaiah writes about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in complete detail. Exactly the way that Isaiah 53 explains it is exactly the way that it happened. Kind of hard to do hundreds of years before it actually happened. Not only this, but Jesus, before he is arrested and crucified, Jesus at least four times talks about his crucifixion and resurrection. In Mark chapter 8, he says that he will suffer, he will be rejected by religious leaders, and that he will die and rise in three days. It doesn't get any closer than that, does it? And later, after the resurrection, the Apostle Paul, who was a converted murderer of those who believed in the resurrection begins preaching the resurrection because he saw a resurrected Jesus. And here's what I know, that when you see Jesus, you will never be the same. He murdered Christians. He murdered people for believing that. And now he is the one who actually believes it himself. What changed? What happened? What could have possibly happened for him to go from that to this? It could only be that he actually saw a resurrected Jesus. That he had an encounter with Jesus. And then he begins to tell others, he says, don't just believe me, but go talk to these other people who also saw him. Secondly, why I believe that the resurrection is true is because you have the transformation of the disciples themselves. We've already established they were kind of, kind of morons, kind of cowards. You, you take a guy like Peter, for example. He's a great example of this. Peter is a, a guy, you, you kind of remember Peter, right? He was the one that Jesus said, Hey, Peter, I'm standing on the water. Come walk out onto the water with me. And Peter takes about two steps and goes for a swim, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith, where is your faith? And then the last thing that we see of Peter in the Gospels, right before Jesus is crucified, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will have denied me three times. You will deny even knowing me. And then just a few hours later, it is absolutely true. Peter, three times, says, I don't know that man. I don't know who he is. You have the wrong person. I don't know Jesus. And so he's very cowardly. And so that's kind of the last thing that we see of Peter. But something happens, something changes in Peter. Not just Peter, but the other 11 and the other apostles and disciples. Something happens in them, something changes. What changes? They've seen a resurrected Jesus. It's the only thing that could explain this. Peter, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4, we begin to see how the church begins to form and Peter begins to preach the gospel to thousands of people. And it happens to be a pretty good sermon because thousands of people get saved. Pretty crazy through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Peter that we see standing there preaching would not have done that earlier. Just a few months before that. Why is he doing it now? 
because he's seen a resurrected Jesus. Not only that, but all of the disciples, almost all of the disciples were murdered for what they believed. Again, I'll say it again. How many of you would die for a lie? But how many of us would give up our lives because we absolutely knew and believed that Jesus Christ was alive because we had seen him? We saw him crucified, and then we saw him alive. The disciples, they gave up their lives. And then finally, here's to me, I I think those are pretty good, but here's to me probably the greatest reason why I think this is that Jesus' family actually believed that he was the Son of God. How many of you have a sibling? How many of you have a sibling? I have two brothers, two half-sisters. Um... I don't know what I would actually have to do to convince them that, that I was the son of God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so, I, not that I am, because I'm not, I'm not saying that I am. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus was able to convince his own family that he was the son of God. We know this because James, his half-brother, in the book of James, we, we know that this is the half-brother of Jesus. James believes that Jesus is the son of God after, listen to me, after he saw a resurrected Jesus. And then James even gives up his own life because of it. Because he believed it. Because he believed it. And so if this is true, and I believe that it is, then we have to do something with it. I think there are several implications for all of us that if the resurrection is true, then this also has to be true. If Jesus is who he said he is and the resurrection is true, then we no longer have to live with guilt, shame, and sin. We no longer have to live with guilt, shame, and sin. Jesus gives his life. God crushes him on the cross and then raises him three days later, makes the tomb empty. He is alive to free us of guilt, shame, and sin. You see, sin is the breaking of God's rules. It is, it is any time that we take something and we make it ultimate in our lives, ultimate in our hearts. When we choose something over God and place it on the throne of our hearts, that is sin. And We are in glad rebellion of that. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. And listen, I know that we're sinners, not just because the Bible says that we're all sinners, that Romans 3 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, not just because of that, just because I know it to be true. Here's how I know it to be true. This is why I know that we're all sinners. How many of us in here have ever told any kind of lie? Any kind of lie. Small lie, big lie, any kind of lie. Any kind of lie. If you did not raise your hand, guess what? Just saying. All right? We're going to have a time of confession and repentance at the end of this. That's for you. All right? How, how many of us have, have ever taken, you know, a pin from someplace, you know? And then you're just like, oh, I don't know how that ended up in my purse. Just like, you know, just there, yeah. My pocket, I don't know how I got there. Like, listen, we, we could go on and on and on and on and on. There's no reason for us to go on and on and on. We've all uh, willingly admitted these things. None of us are going 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments. We're not batting perfect on that. We're not batting perfect on that. And we're, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. My daughter, she's three years old. And uh, this has been a while back, but I remember we had cleaned up our, our playroom and and uh, parents, you know how this works. You clean something up, and then five minutes later, guess what? 
messy again, right? And you're just like, well, I don't even know why I do it again. And so, like, clean it up, walk back into the playroom. My daughter is in the playroom, and she's got toys, you know, spread out all over the place. I don't know how she does it. It's magic. Like, just quickly, you know, they're just there, right? Walk in, and I look at her, and I said, Emerson, why did you do this? And she just looks at me, and she goes, I didn't. And she's holding the toys in her hand, right? Like, she's caught red-handed. And listen, the same is true for us. I mean, we're just, we're just caught red-handed. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And here's what I know, that if the resurrection is true, then we no longer have to live with guilt, shame, and sin because God gave His Son so that we would not have to, to forgive us of sins. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to be able to, to rid ourselves of these things on our own. Only a Savior can. Only a Savior can. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Romans eight twenty three, Paul writes this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, there is therefore now. He is saying that in light of knowing that we are sinners, in light of knowing that we are in rebellion of God, in light of knowing that we need a Savior, in light of knowing that we have sin, guilt, and shame in our lives, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. In other words, for God has done what you and I could not possibly do on our own. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so the weight of sin, because of Christ on the cross, is gone. And so if the resurrection is true, and I believe that it is, then we have been forgiven of our sin, which therefore means there is now no condemnation in us. That means that our guilt and our shame has been removed from us. And that's good news, isn't it? Secondly and last, if the resurrection is true, then God has proved that he can't stop and he won't stop. God has proved to us that he can't stop and he won't stop. God shows us in the resurrection that he cannot stop, that, that we ourselves, that we cannot stop God's love for us by anything that we have done. And that's good news for us, isn't it? That regardless of what we have done, regardless of our past mistakes, regardless of our speckled past, our skeletons in our closet, regardless of those things, we cannot stop God's love for us. Also, God's love for us cannot be stopped by anything that we will do in the future. As long as we believe and trust Him as Lord. As long as we make Him our Savior. Nothing that we can do to outrun God's love for us. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's nothing that you can do that, can, that, that you can outrun God's love for you? No sin that we can commit, no, no past that we have. The resurrection shows us that God is not waiting on us to love Him. He loves us. He loves us. He was crucified to show it and resurrected to prove it. Because we're all so guilty of so much, so much so that we cannot possibly bring ourselves to God. So God initiates His love for us by coming to us and dying for us. John puts it this way in 1 John 4. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us. So you you hear what that that means? There's nothing that you are doing. There's nothing that you will do that will get God to love you more than he already does. There is not a future version of yourself that you can put together. You're not cleaning yourself up. There are so many of you that have had a conversation with God where you said, you know what, I'll begin to go back to church. I'll begin to, to live my life for you, but I've got to get this taken care of first. I've got to get this relationship right first. I've got to get my life, I've got to quit doing this. I've got to stop doing that. And so once I get these things together, then I will come to you because it'll be then that you actually love me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I proved that I love you by giving my life up for you on a cross. In this is love. That God loved us, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, meaning in exchange for our sins. And so right in the middle of our junk, and we have it, don't we? I I got it. I don't know about you, I, I got it. I got junk. Right in the middle of our junk, it's where God sends Jesus for us. And on our best day, as good as we could possibly be, we could never save ourselves. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that that's true. You know why I'm so glad that that's true? Because I know that I'd give up too quickly. <laughs> I know I'd give up too easily. And I would walk away from that. It's tiring trying to be a good person, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> It's hard. I'm I'm telling you, it's tiring trying to be moral, trying to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing, but you know what? I want to be those things. I only want to be those things because of who God is to me. Because that I've been saved. We're all broken. We've been outed in front of the cross, and yet God leans into us and loves us. Knowing who we are inside, knowing what we're like, knowing all that we've done, God still leans into us and says, Hey, I love you. I gave my son for you. So that means the single parent here who is struggling. It means those in here who may be addicted means those who are depressed, those who feel rejected, those of us who have struggles in our marriage, those of us who are stressed to the point where we're not even sure if we want to continue on in life. Even you who thinks you have it all together but has to muster up daily energy to put a mask on to try to fool everybody else to believe that you actually got it all together. Jesus looks at all of that and says, Stop. Stop. Romans 5.8 says that but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners. You know what that means? (laughs) It means while you were still messed up, while you were still jacked up, while you were still broken, stressed out, struggling, while you were still in the middle of that, God shows his love for us that Christ died for us. He didn't say clean yourself up first, then I'll love you. But I'm just going to love you right where you're at. While we were still weak. God moves toward us, and that's good. If you're not a believer, if you struggle whether or not you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, my goal here this morning was not to try to convince you otherwise. I didn't lay these things out before you to try to convince you otherwise. I laid these things out before us because this is what I know to be true is that 
I don't have to convince you, but the Holy Spirit is probably already doing so. Again, I don't know why you I don't know why you're here this morning. I'm just I'm glad that you're here and I believe that you're here for a reason. I don't know if you just came because somebody pestered you and you you showed up just to get them off of your back. I don't know if you came here because you went to a church last year and they gave away a car and an iPad and a bunch of gift cards and you, we're not doing that. <laughs> Let me draw the name. The winner of the no, we're, we're not I'm just going to yell at you for 30 minutes and give you a tumbler and say we're glad that you're here. I mean that's Welcome to the Ridge. Um, Listen, I don't know why you're here. I just know that you're here for a reason. I just know you're here for a purpose. And I believe that that purpose and that reason is to hear that Jesus is alive and that he loves you right where you're at. And he proved it to us because he gave himself up on the cross. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world. You know what that, that, that so in that verse is, it's so important. It's extremely important. It's the, it's the crux of that. God so loved the world, meaning that he did something extreme to show his love for us. And that word world, it doesn't mean this little planet, this little dirt spot that is in the universe that we happen to be living on. That's not what that means in the world. That means you. That means me. God so loved us in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our stressed out lives, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our messed up, jacked up, existence that he loves us that he gave his only son that whoever believes would have everlasting eternal life that word belief is really important too because you see we live in the south and so when I say hey do you believe in Jesus everybody believes in Jesus in the south that word belief is really important Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Do you believe that he is who he said he would be? Do you believe that he's going to do everything that he promises us that he will do from this book? Do you believe that he is the son of God given to pay for your sin, raised and is alive and that he will do all of these things. That's belief. That's what it means to to believe. And so are you growing in your faith? Do you hate sin and declare war on it enough to kill it? If that is true, then you believe. Then you believe. If you just believe that Jesus was a guy who had some pretty good things to say and that if you do some of them, then you'll have a pretty decent life, that's not belief. Are you willing to give up your own selfish comforts in order to live a life that honors Jesus? And listen, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to get it right all the time. That's why there's grace. But do you believe? If you don't, then as we close and sing this next song and as we pray, I just encourage you to do this. I can encourage you to, to confess and repent of sin. That word repent, all that means is that we are turning from our sin. We are turning from the things that we have chosen over God and we are going to turn to the cross. We are going to turn ourselves to Jesus. So what's, that's what repent means. And so we're going to confess what we've already openly confessed each one of us to say, I'm a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. I, I need you, Jesus, to rescue me. 
And as we pray, if, if, you, if you've never prayed that, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, then I just encourage you to do that. I'm not going to make you repeat a prayer after me. I'm going to let that be something that you do with God in a conversation with God from your heart to Him. Don't make it my words. Make it your words. But for others of you, there are others of you here today, you absolutely believe that. You're here today because Easter Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the grave, and you're here to celebrate that today. And so as we stand to our feet in just a moment and sing this song, then I just encourage you to sing. Even if you sing really badly, just sing. I'm going to, and it's bad. But there's grace and Jesus loves you even though you sing bad, okay? Sing. So sing and celebrate. So let's stand to our feet. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we, words cannot express, God, our gratitude and thankfulness. God, that you loved us enough to give your only son to give us salvation, God, to give us rescue, to give us eternal life, God, to give us an abundant life. And Father, just just for myself, God, forgive me. Forgive me when I've chosen things over you, when I've made other things ultimate in my heart. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy.